You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, J-Town. At the very beginning of the Bible, we see God's good vision for the world, creation in harmony with humanity, and humanity in harmony with God. Join us for our series, Sacred, Genesis 1 and 2. Well, uh, we've said this already, but I just want to thank you guys again. It's been a joy to get to know uh, several of you guys over the last several months. And uh, we've just been so cared for from the very beginning and even now this this weekend. So thank you. We we are excited to be here and excited to to call this home and excited to be a a part of your church family. So this morning, uh, if you have your Bibles and invite you to go ahead and grab them, we're going to be pausing in Genesis and we're actually going to be in Luke chapter seven this morning. So Luke chapter 7, if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it. And we're going to be in uh, uh, verses 36 through 50. And as you turn there, I would invite you, if you're able, to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50 in God's Word for us this morning says this. One of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who's touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, "I, I suppose the one he forgave more. You've judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who was forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to you in love. God, as we open your word this morning, would your spirit come in and give us clarity? Would you give us eyes to see and hearts to believe and ears to hear? And God, I pray that as we open your word and look at this well-known story, simple story with a simple truth, Lord, would you let it stir us up by way of reminder and help it transform the way that we respond to you and the way we respond to others. So Lord, help us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. So over the, uh, the last several months, uh, like, like they've said, I've gone through a, a bunch of different interviews with uh, people from J-Town, a bunch of you guys, some of you sitting here this morning. And, and throughout all these interviews, I've been asked all kinds of different questions, everything from personal questions to family questions, theological questions, ministry philosophy questions, you name it, we've probably been asked. But in all these interviews, uh, probably my favorite question that I got asked through this, this whole process was from Tony. 
And uh, I told Tony this morning, Tony, I've known you for like two weeks and you're already making the sermon, man. Way to go. Uh, but we were on Zoom and Tony was like, yeah, I have a question. And so I looked at Tony and, and Tony looked at me and he said, how do you feel about horses, basketball, and bourbon? <laughs> and I was like, I honestly don't know how to answer that question. I'm not, I'm not really sure, but it's Kentucky in a nutshell, apparently. So there we go. I feel great about it. Uh, but, but maybe one of the most impactful and, and maybe important questions for me throughout this whole process, sorry, Tony, it wasn't that one. That wasn't the most impactful, but uh, maybe the most impactful question throughout this whole process was asked by Lindsay Patterson. She's over there and I uh, told her, she met me and talked me out there and I was like, oh, have you been in? She's like, no. So she doesn't even know I'm asking this either. Here I am, first sermon. I'm just already throwing people under the bus. But Lindsay asked me this. She said, uh, what are three things that you want every student who goes through your ministry to walk away knowing? And I was like, man, that is a great question. And, and as I started thinking about that question, uh, I started thinking about myself as a middle school student, a, a high school student, and even on to early college. And I was a kid who grew up in the church, was there all the time, anytime the doors were opened. And I was a kid who, who knew the right answers. I, I knew what to say, what not to say, where to be, when to be there, things to do, things not to do. Uh, but at the same time, once middle school and high school, and again, even, even our early college rolled around, uh, I started to walk in and live in a lot of sin. And I started to live and walk in ways that I knew were wrong. And yet still my, my desires, my, the, the things that I was doing were, were walking away from the Lord. And throughout that time, I was terrified because I constantly lived in this tension of I'm terrified to be found out. Because I'm terrified of the fact of if, if someone knows who I really am, like if someone knows the things that I've done, like the, the people closest to me don't even know, if they find out about those things, they're done. Like they're, they're gonna cast me off. There's no way that they could look at me the same and, and love me the way that they say that they do. I was convinced that I'd, I'd, I'd be cast out. But also when she asked that question, I started thinking about my former students in Oklahoma, current students in Oklahoma, and some of the most significant, impactful conversations we've had over the last several years. And, and I started to think through, what, what, is the, what is the thing that I want them to know? Like, what, what is the truth that they really need to hear for the rest of their lives? And as I thought about those things, the, the thing that comes to the forefront of my mind was, was this, that Jesus loves sinners. Jesus loves sinners and he, and he loves them a lot. And so I responded to Lindsay and I said, yeah, I think that's it. Like, I, I think I want my students to know that Jesus loves sinners. But after I had finished answering Lindsay, I think I said something along the lines of like, hey, yeah, I mean, that, that's what I would say. And it's, it's not groundbreaking. It's not like it's like creative. It's not like it's some new ministry philosophy or anything like that. But that's what I'd say. And, and as I thought about that and I thought about my response to Lindsay when I said like, hey, yeah, it's not really groundbreaking. It, it's not creative. I've honestly been a little bit convicted, a lot of bit convicted by it, because here's the reality is that truth that Jesus loves sinners really is groundbreaking. Because if, if someone hears that for the first time, who's, who's not a believer, not a Christian, they hear that truth that Jesus really loves sinners and that he died for them while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That one truth changes everything. It changes the fact that their sins are forgiven. They're, they're washed white as snow. They're, they're at peace with God. But, but here's the thing that we also have to be reminded of, that I need to be reminded of, is that that truth is not just for non-Christians. 
That's something that every single one of us, every single morning needs to be reminded of, that Jesus really does love sinners. Because if we really believe that, and if we know that, because here's the reality, as long as we're here on this earth, we will constantly be sinners who keep on sinning. And we need to be reminded of that over and over and over again. And if we believe that truth, that Jesus loves sinners, it's going to change everything. It's going to change the way we respond to our sin. It's going to change the love and adoration that we have for Jesus. But then also, I think it's going to change the way we respond and interact with other fellow sinners. And so this morning, that's, that's, that's what I want to do. I, I want to point us to this truth. We're going to be looking at the truth, the simple truth, so simple that a little kid could understand it, that Jesus loves sinners. And my prayer throughout this week has just been that this would change us and it would stir us up by way of reminder and it would change the way that we respond to our sin. It would change our love for Jesus and it would change the way we love and care for other fellow sinners. And so look back with me at Luke chapter seven, looking back at verse uh, 36. We're gonna walk through this and see what God would have for us this morning. But if you remember, as we read this, the, the kind of story begins, the setting for our story begins in verse 36, where we see that Jesus is eating at the house of a Pharisee named Simon. And, and they're all reclining at this table together. And at this point in, in Jesus's ministry, if you're familiar with the book of Luke, it, Jesus' ministry is well underway. And there's a lot of controversy that's starting to spread about Jesus. Because at this point, Jesus is notorious for, he, he's well known for all throughout, especially in religious circles, for spending time with that quote unquote religious or churchy people should never be seen spending time with. And so the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, which the Jesus Storybook Bible calls the extra super holy people, were starting to investigate Jesus to just figure out who, who is this guy? Like, like who, who is he? And the tension in our story really, really picks up in verse 37 when a woman enters into the Pharisee's house. But here's the thing about this woman. This wasn't just any ordinary woman. This wasn't just, you know, the kind of -of run-of-the-mill woman in the city. But this was a woman with a reputation. This was a woman who was well-known within the city. And the things that she was well-known for weren't good things. She, she was well known for, and she had a, a reputation for being, Luke, Luke tells us in verse 37, he describes this woman, the narrator himself says, a woman in the town who was a sinner. He wants us to see that from the very beginning. This woman is a sinner. And we need to pay close attention to this woman because I want you to notice what, is, what this woman's doing. This, this woman didn't show up at the Pharisee's house to talk to the religious leaders. This woman didn't show up at the Pharisee's house to talk to the Pharisees, but she showed up because she heard that Jesus was there. And she's heard about Jesus. She's, she's maybe seen Jesus from afar. And I think she's even heard his teaching at this point. And she knows that she needs to come and see Jesus. And so hearing that he was there, she came to do something which would have taken incredible courage, incredible boldness, and incredible, I mean, again, the kind of audacity for her to come and do this would, was amazing because for a woman to do this during this time would have been easily misunderstood as scandalous, and even inappropriate. And so walking into the Pharisee's house, she's walking in carrying this alabaster flask of perfume or or ointment, which would have been this kind of stone jar that would have been used to hold really expensive perfume. And, And I can just imagine, again, this is a story. This is a narrative. We should enter into this. Our mind should be seeing this happen like a movie in our mind. And I can just imagine this woman walking into this room, holding this, this, this jar of ointment. And I can just see her pick, looking at all the people sitting around the table. And it's filled with all the religious leaders of the day, these super important holy people. And she's sitting there and they're probably talking about the finer points of the law and finer points of the purity laws and who's clean, who's unclean, who can come in the temple, who can't go in the temple. 
And she's walking in and she has to be terrified. But, but with a mixture of, of fear and, and boldness and courage, she, she walks right into the room. And I can just imagine her not making eye contact with anyone else, but her eyes are just fixed on Jesus. And, and she walks up to Jesus and, and, and she stands at his feet, holding her jar in her hands. And as she's standing there with, with, her, with her jar, standing at the feet of Jesus, something interesting happens. She starts weeping. She's crying so hard that the passage says that her tears are actually wetting Jesus's feet. And again, this isn't just some like teary-eyed cry that you can kind of wipe it away and you can hold yourself together. No, this is like, I can't keep it together anymore. Full on weeping, tears pouring out of her eyes so much so that it's wetting his feet. And, and then as her tears begin to wet Jesus's feet, she does something which again would have been seen as the most scandalous thing a woman could have done. And she, she, she lets her hair down. She kneels at Jesus' feet and she starts wiping his feet with her hair and she starts kissing his, his feet and she anoints them with her expensive perfume, maybe her most prized possession, this, this ointment that she had brought in. And she's, she's washing Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears. But at this moment, the, the scene kind of shifts for a second. Like if this were a TV show, we would see the woman with Jesus' feet, the camera would be on her. And then in verse, in verse 39, the camera shifts and we look at Simon. And Simon the Pharisee, he's watching all of this take place in his own home, surrounded by all the important religious leaders. And I can just imagine him being the perfect combination of shocked, embarrassed, and outraged because he's already a little skeptical of Jesus, I'm sure, at this point. And now here's this woman walking in, washing Jesus's feet with all of his super important friends all around him. And Jesus, he's letting it happen. He's not sending this woman away like, again, any quote unquote, religious person should be doing during this time. In fact, he, he's letting her do this. And I can just imagine this little smirk and smile on Jesus' face. And so in his anger, he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what kind of woman this is who's touching him. She's a sinner. The second time in our story, we see who this woman was. She's a sinner. He thinks to himself, if, if this Jesus guy really is a, a holy man, a, a man of God, a prophet, then he would know this woman's a sinner. And holy people never want anything to do with sinners. But the truth Luke wants to see in this story is that he could not be any more wrong. Because we see Jesus prove that he's wrong and he proves that he's wrong by telling him a story. And if you look back at verses 41 and 42, we see that Jesus tells him a story about two people who owed a debt to a moneylender. And one man, he owed 500 denarii and another man owed 50 denarii. And a denarius back in this time, most people think was like the daily wage of a worker. And so you're looking at 500 days worth of work versus 50 days worth of work. And so let, let's put this in today's language. If, if minimum wage is Kentucky, in Kentucky is 725, you're working eight hour days, you're looking at a difference of $29,000 and $2,900. That, that's the equivalent of like a brand new 2021 car versus a couple months rent. And so in the story, Jesus tells the Pharisee, he says, hey, the moneylender forgave both of those debts. He, he wiped both of them clean. And now here's my question. Which one of those people is going to love that moneylender more? And our response would be, I'll take the car. I'll figure out rent, but give me the brand new 2021 car. And Simon, he responds correctly and reluctantly, I think. And he says, well, I mean, I suppose the one who had the larger debt. And Jesus says, great job, man. You got one right. You got it right, Simon. And, and, and he tells him, he says, hey, 
do you see this woman? And I, I can just imagine Jesus responding to Simon and maybe with a little smile on his face, he, he turns to the woman. And he says, Simon, do you, do you see this woman? You didn't give me any water for my feet when I walked into your house. And that was the, just the, the basic hospitality during that time. You didn't give me any water for my feet, Simon. But this woman... This woman right here, she wiped my feet and wet it with her hair. And she washed my feet with her hair and her tears. Hey, hey, Simon, when I walked into your house, you didn't even give me a kiss on my cheek. And yet this woman, when she walked in, she's continued to kiss my feet. and, And you didn't even anoint my head with oil. And yet she's used her most expensive prized perfume and ointment on my feet. What is Jesus trying to get out here? He's trying to show them that the honor, the respect and the hospitality and the love that Jesus should have received as Simon's guest wasn't shown by Simon in his own house. And yet here's this woman, a woman of the city who comes in and she shows Jesus all of the amazing honor, respect and hospitality that Simon should have shown Jesus. And Jesus is driving this home, this, this point home to Simon. And all that leads us to, I think, the climax of this passage, what everything's been building up to in verses 47 and 48, when Jesus says this, he says, therefore, I tell you, her many sins, and that's significant because Jesus isn't one to sweep sins under the rug. It's not like he's downplaying the sinfulness of this woman. Jesus knows exactly what this woman has done. He knows this woman's reputation, her many sins. But what does he say? They've been forgiven. And that's why she loved much. But the one who was forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Jesus is trying to teach Simon something here. He's trying to show Simon. He says, Simon, she showed me this great honor because she loves me. And she loves me because her sins, which are many, they're forgiven. And she's forgiven, we learn in verse 50, because She has faith. And so what we see about this woman is that she believes Jesus really is who he says he is. She she believes that Jesus will do what he says that he can do. You see, I I think this woman, we can make a good case that she's she's heard Jesus' teaching before this story. And and when she enters onto the scene of this story, she's weeping. And I think that she's weeping a, a combination of tears of sorrow and tears of joy. Because she's she's weeping tears of sorrow because she knows her reputation. She knows what people think about her. She knows the talk of the town and knows what people are saying about her. But here's the worst part of it. She knows it's true. She knows what she's done. She knows she's a sinner. She knows that she has many sins. And so she's being confronted with the reality that she is a sinner. But also mixed with those tears of sorrow are are tears of joy because as she's heard Jesus' teachings, she maybe for the first time in her life believes that someone would actually love her, that someone would actually want her, that someone would actually not cast her off like the religious leaders, but someone would actually draw her in and love her and forgive her of her sins. And so maybe she's heard about Jesus calling Peter. And she heard about how when Peter ran to Jesus after he'd seen this amazing miracle, Peter fell at the feet of Jesus and said, Lord, depart from me for I am a sinful man. But instead of Jesus departing from Peter and casting him off because of his sin, what does he do? Brings him in, makes him one of his own. Maybe she's heard about how an unclean leper came and fell down at Jesus' feet and said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus, instead of casting him off because of un- his uncleanness, Jesus says, I will be clean. 
And, and maybe she heard how when Jesus healed a paralytic, he told the man, your sins are forgiven. Maybe she heard Jesus said that I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. And maybe she's heard the Pharisees themselves, maybe even Simon from this story, say that Jesus is a friend, a, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Maybe she's heard all of these things and others like it, and she believes. She really believes that Jesus really does love sinners. And our story ends and, and comes to a close with this massive contrast between the religious leaders sitting at the table and the woman. Because those at the table are left in this story confused at who Jesus is and why he would have the audacity to tell this woman that her sins are forgiven. But the woman, she leaves the story comforted by the words of Jesus, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So, so here's my question for us this morning. Why is this story in the Bible? Why do, why do we need this? Why, why do we need to hear this? And if God's word really is absolutely true and given to us in love, like we just said a few moments ago, then, then what is it that God lovingly wants to show us and teach us all this morning from this story that took place so many years ago? Well, I think as we're reading narrative, I think we can find out what God wants us to see by looking at the main characters in this story, because that's oftentimes how he teaches us in gospel narrative. He wants us to look at the main characters. And obviously, when we read our Bible, the main character is Jesus. We see Jesus. And so let's look at Jesus. What does God want us to learn about who Jesus is from this story? Well, in, in verse 49, after Jesus told the woman her sins are forgiven, everyone at the table begins to ask this question. They say, who is this? who even forgives sins. And, and that question should cause a good reader of Luke's gospel to go back to Luke 5.21, right after Jesus had just told the paralytic that his sins were forgiven. And what do the Pharisees say? They say, who can forgive sins but God alone? The answer is no one. The, the answer is no one can forgive sins. God alone can forgive sins. And by Jesus coming onto the scene of this story and having the power and the authority to forgive sins, we're learning that Jesus is God the Son in the flesh and that our God is a God who forgives sinners. He loves sinners. He forgives sinners. But, but it's not just that. Remember, this woman, she had a reputation for sinning. This, this woman wasn't just the, the, quote, the kind of like churchy sins that, well, I, I lied when I was seven one time. Like, that, that, that's not what this woman is, is, is dealing with here. It says that she had many sins. And this is so important because in this, we learn that God is a God who loves to forgive big sins. Not just the socially acceptable sins, but big sins and big sinners. And he loves to take people who have massive debts against him because of their sin against the holy God. And he does what Colossians 2 tells us, that he erases the certificate of debt and he nails it to the cross. That's who our God is. We learn that God is the complete opposite of the quote unquote religious or churchy people who want nothing to do with people who sin. He is the complete opposite of the quote unquote churchy people who when they find out what you've done, they're just going to send you packing on your way and want nothing to do with you ever again. That's not who our God is. And, and someone, some of us need to hear that this morning. And some of us need to be reminded of that because there's been people who have been really hurt by the church and, and really religious or churchy people because they've heard what you've done. They've seen what you've done. They heard what you did 10 years ago. And because of that, they've kind of kept you at an arm's distance. I said, ah, I, 
be careful here. Don't, we, we don't know if we can deal with that. We, we don't want people to find out about that because that, that's too messy. That's, that's too big. That, that's, that's too hard. That, that's not who Jesus is. We see in this passage that your brokenness, your sin, your reputation, your past, no matter how big, no matter how bad, no matter how drastic, doesn't push him away from you, but it actually draws him near. It, it, it brings him in. And in fact, the the bigger the sin, the, the bigger the reputation, the, the more the sin, the more you are confronted with the reality of your own sinfulness doesn't push him away, but it actually makes you more qualified to receive the grace of God. We see that no matter how bad draws him in, and the reason that's true is because he loves you and he wants you and not the cleaned up veneered version of you that looks really good on the outside, but he wants the real version of you. The one who blew it two years ago. The one who blew it this weekend, the one who smarted off to their spouse and the one who was quick tempered with their kids and the one who fell into sin this weekend and did the thing they promised they'd never, ever do again. And they blew it yet again. He wants that version of you. He wants to draw near to you and he wants to take people who weep over their sins, their big sins, their, their massive sins, their socially unacceptable sins. And he wants to bring them in and he wants to forgive them. And he wants to say, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. It's been dealt with. It's finished because I went to the cross to die to pay the price for your sins. You're at peace with God now. You're clean. And he does all that again because he really does love sinners. That's who God is. That's who Jesus is. And, and as we're shown who Jesus is in this story, Luke does something with that. And he presents us with two very different responses to who Jesus is. He shows us Simon the Pharisee, and the sinful woman. And, and again, gospel narratives often teach us by holding up two different examples of people. They, they teach us by showing us, hey, this is an example to avoid and, and this is an example to follow. And so let's, let's look at the, the Simon the Pharisee and the sinful woman and see what God would have us learn from each of them. Let's start with Simon. How did Simon respond to Jesus when he came into his house? Did he give Jesus the respect and honor that he deserved when he walked in? No. Why? It's because he loved Jesus very little. He didn't actually love Jesus. And the reason that he loved Jesus very little is because he knew nothing about the forgiveness that he himself so desperately needed that only Jesus could give. And so here we have Simon, the Pharisee, the one who should know the most about God because he's the religious leader, the one who knows the most about the Torah. And yet when this woman walks into his house weeping, how does he respond? Does he draw near to the brokenhearted like God himself says that he does in Psalm 34? No, not even close. Instead, he says, if Jesus knew who this woman was, he, he would cast her off. She's a sinner. But here's the reality in this story. There were two sinners in this story and only one of them left forgiven. And it's because of their different response to Jesus. Because Simon didn't recognize his own sin. Simon didn't recognize his own need for forgiveness. And he didn't recognize it because he was too busy pointing out the sins of other people to recognize just how much he himself desperately needed this forgiveness. I grew up at a church where everyone was, was pretty well off. Uh, everyone looked really pretty on the outside. Everyone dressed nice. Everyone looked nice. Everyone talked nice. And I'll never forget one Sunday morning after I'd gotten out of youth group, I was probably late middle school, early high school. And 
uh, I walked in from the youth building and, and was walking towards the main, the main sanctuary. And there, there was a, a bunch of people standing around, but I'll never forget there was one man who was standing there in the middle of the foyer and he stuck out like a sore thumb. And he, he, was, he was not dressed very nice. He had long, really, really greasy hair and had tattoos all over his body. And I distinctly remember thinking in my sin, I, just, I distinctly remember thinking, why is he here? Why is this guy here? Like, doesn't he know what he looks like? Like, who is this guy? We, we don't know who he is. Like, he, he could be dangerous. What, 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 is this, what is this guy doing? And little did I know that this man had just been miraculously saved out of a life of drug addiction. And the Lord had just completely changed his the entire trajectory of his life and wiped his sins completely clean. And he was going to use him miraculously to, to proclaim the goodness of the gospel. And here I was sitting there as a middle school, high school kid. And I knew nothing about the forgiveness that I needed. He knew everything about forgiveness because he'd been forgiven much. And here I was, I was blinded to my own sin because I was pointing out the sins of other people. And I tell you that story with a broken heart because I was Simon. That's what, that's what Simon looks like here in, in real life. And, and so here, here's my question for us. How do we know if we're in danger of being like Simon? Like if Simon's an example to avoid in this story, how do we know if we're in danger of being like Simon? Well, I think a few questions we should ask ourselves is, do you find yourself with a lack of love for Jesus? Or, or maybe a lack of love for other people? It, it could be because you don't truly understand how much you yourself have been forgiven. Or, or maybe you, you don't know anything about forgiveness because you've never recognized your sin and taken it to Jesus. Or do you find yourself pointing out the sins of other people more easily than you find yourself confessing sin to God in your own heart? Or do you find yourself being really turned off by other people who come to church when you know what they did last weekend and you think, man, why is she here? Why, why is this guy here? I, I know what he did last week. I, I know what he did at work. I, I know his past. Do you want church to be a place where people look nice and they talk nice and they act nice and they act a certain way? Or do you, do you want church to be a place for the sick to come and find healing and, and sinners to find a savior? Tim Keller says, churches should feel more like the waiting room for a doctor and less like a waiting room for a job interview. In the latter, we all try to look as competent and impressive as we can. Weaknesses are buried and hidden, but in a doctor's waiting room, we assume everyone there is sick and needs help. And this scene is much closer to the reality of what is going on in church. So a question we should ask even as a church is, is our church more like a waiting room for a doctor? Or is it more like a waiting room for a job interview? All of us, every single one of us need to check our hearts and repent of any self-righteousness we have because it's in all of us. It's ingrained in all of us and, and we need to ask for God's help to avoid the example of Simon. But we have one more example in this story and it's an example to follow. And the amazing irony all throughout the book of Luke is the examples to follow isn't the religious leaders, but it's the sinners. It's not Simon that we should follow, but it's the example of this sinful woman. What is God wanting to teach us and show us about the example of this sinful woman that we should follow? Again, before the woman came onto the page of the story, she knew who Jesus was. She knew that he was a friend of sinner. And she also knew that she was a sinner. 
And so what did she do with her sin? In her sin, what did she do? She came to Jesus. She ran to Jesus and fell at his feet and and laid it all before him. And so here's what God would have for us this morning, I think, through this, is that if you're here and you've blown it, and you've sinned this weekend, or again, you've, you've blown up at your spouse or been harsh towards your kids, or you've fallen into sin this weekend, or maybe you have a past and you have a reputation, and, and you've, or maybe you've even realized that you've been like Simon and you've been blinded by your own self-righteousness. All of us, every single one of us in here, the call of this passage is to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus in your sin, run to him, because here's what we can be assured of this morning. If you run to Jesus with your sin, no matter how big, no matter how bad, no matter how big the reputation, no matter how many the sins, you come and run to him and lay at his feet. This is the response that he will give you. He will say, your sins are forgiven. They're wiped clean. Your debt's been canceled. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And that's true because he went to a cross to die for sinners like you and me. And while we were still sinners, we we didn't clean ourselves up. We didn't get better. We didn't measure up to this standard of righteousness before he he died for us. He said, while we were still sinners, Romans 5, 8, Christ died for us. And that's freeing. That changes everything because we don't have to perform anymore. We don't have to try to measure up. We don't have to keep things hidden because he knows it all and he's willing to wipe it all clean out of his great love for sinners. But the other thing that all of us here this morning who are Christians, we should learn from this passage and we should follow this woman in is that the amount that we've been forgiven, the amount that Jesus loves us and has forgiven us should lead us to more love and devotion and worship of Jesus. Christians should be the most worshipful people in all the world who sing the loudest because we have been forgiven so much. God loves to take big sinners and he transforms them into big worshipers and big lovers because they recognize just how much they've been forgiven. So believer, this morning, let the forgiveness that Jesus has shown you lead you to sing and worship and praise him for all that he's done for you. And then lastly, as we're done, is I think if, if all of us as a church, if, if we as believers really believe this and, and we're really following the example of this woman, recognizing our many sins, running to the feet of Jesus with them, it's going to change everything. It's going to transform our church. It, it's going to transform the city of Louisville because as we're doing this, week in and week out, it's going to make it clear to every single person who walks through these doors that this is a place where we are all sin-sick sinners desperately waiting and needing to meet with the great physician, Jesus. That's what the gospel gives us the freedom to do, is that we can be open, we can be honest, we can confess our sins, because as we confess our sins and bring it to the light, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so the good news of the gospel this morning that we should leave with is that Jesus loves sinners. And every time we come to him because of his finished work on the cross, he will remind us yet again, over and over and over again, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. 
For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash jtown.